1: and a trendsetter in the field of mindful leadership. Your host, Holly Duckworth.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Mindfulness Show, where we bring you powerful conversations on what mindfulness is and how to apply mindfulness to your business and personal life. Today, I am excited to introduce you to someone who will educate you on topics that you may not want to talk about, but he's become a dear friend. Dr. Gleb Toperski is on a mission to help us make better decisions. We're gonna be talking today about cognitive biases. Um, His expertise is helping people make decisions even in this time of COVID-19. He has written a book that I've had the privilege of reading. It's called Resilience. Adapt and plan for the new normal of the COVID-19 pandemic. He's got over 15 years of advanced education. He has worked with some of America's biggest companies. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gleb.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Holly. I really appreciate you inviting me. And it's been really great to get to know you recently, and especially in the context of COVID-19, people need a lot more mindfulness nowadays.
0: Yeah, and you know, our show really focuses on, on mindfulness. In business and I know your company disaster avoidance experts really helps people even before the pandemic understand the brain science of, of how we make decisions and how those decisions are going to impact us so uh, you know it's so so interesting that we, we both had messages pre-COVID that we, mm-hmm. we were preparing for this particular time mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we didn't even even know it as we, we were serving folks we're, we were building up our, our case studies for sure so I, I'm really really heartbroken open that you know some of these decisions that were little decisions as business owners before well of course my people are gonna work in their offices or of course they're gonna drive to work now can really truly be dangerous decisions I had one yeah. client I was coaching I'm um, in the Chicago area you know a few months back and, and, and they were in a law firm and just the decision to go into the office every day and get the mail was was a dangerous decision. So wow. so talk to us about cognitive bias, talk to us about resilience mm-hmm. and how can we navigate these decisions from a place of higher awareness.
1: So from a place of higher awareness, we need to first be aware of what drives our decisions. Our decisions are overwhelmingly driven by emotions, by how we feel. Do we feel safe? Do we feel not safe? Do we feel excited? Do we feel hopeful? Do we feel enthusiastic? Do we feel scared? Our decisions are 80 to 90% driven by our emotions. That's what the research shows. Some cognitive neuroscientists and behavioral economists besides my work as the CEO of disaster avoidance experts, training, consulting, coaching clients. And so having looked at the research on this topic, unfortunately, our feelings, our intuitions, our emotions, they're not a great fit for the modern world. That's not what they're wired for. Our gut reactions, and people tell us to go with our gut, trust your heart, that's bad advice, really harmful advice, because your gut reactions are really wired for the Savannah environment when we lived in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people. So for example, our threat response, you're talking about danger and decisions, our primary threat response is the fight or flight response. That's our primary threat response. When in the Savannah environment where you wanted, had to jump at a hundred shadows to get away from that one saber-toothed tiger. And that was great for the Savannah environment. That that flight response was great because, you know, we're the descendants of those who had a great flight response. Because the other people were caught by the saber-toothed tiger who were a little bit, little bit slower to jump at a hundred shadows. You know, jumped at 50 shadows. That's the who we're built to. That's what we're built to do right now. So folks who experienced COVID-19, a lot of them had the flight response. They flee from the information. They ignore the information. They say, oh, it's not a big deal. It's nothing worse than the common cold, whatever. That's the flight response. People are ignoring the reality because it's so uncomfortable. They don't want to deal with it. They flinch away from the information. And so many business leaders, so many business owners fleeing away, flinching away from the information. I mean, Oh, look at Elon Musk. When On, when, on March 19th, he, he tweeted that, you know, based on current trends, close to zero new cases of COVID-19 by the end of April. I mean, obviously, is very, very wrong. And that is an example of a supremely popular, very powerful business leader who lots of people follow. So that's an example of uh, fleeing from the information. Other people it had the fight response. So they had aggressive responses, whether, you know, going to the, to-, to the store and buying up all the toilet paper, right? Kind of a notorious toilet paper shortage. That was one aspect of fight response in your regular life. But other people had the fight response in their business life, where for example, they turned to their business continuity plans, their disaster preparedness plans. And I know this as someone who designed a lot of these plans. That was a lot of my work as a disaster. Avoidance experts. So I did that. That's definitely a bunch of stuff that I do. Unfortunately, they're not designed for COVID nineteen. They're great for when a blizzard hits. You know that that's great, or when there's a major flood, like when Houston got flooded. That's a perfect time to use your business continuity plan when there's a one week, two week interruption in your business. Now, COVID nineteen is not that. It's like Houston got flooded and then stayed flooded. That's what COVID nineteen is like. And people who thought that, well, now I can go back to my car and drive to work. No, you can't. You need to build a canoe and, you know, go, go to your work in the canoe. That's, that's the new environment. And that's not what your business continuity plan is for. So people who are using that are still functioning in emergency mode, when in reality they should be changing, pivoting to the new environment. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to acknowledge that we are in a different environment, that we are not in a really new normal. It's more of a new abnormal. (laughs) That's more of what we're in, kind of a new abnormal. And we need to realize that we're in a new abnormal. But it's very not intuitive for us to do that. In the Savannah environment, that was a bad assumption. In the Savannah environment, the future was going to be much like today. So that's what uh, was a safe assumption. The future is much like today and you can th- feel it in yourself. You think, if you think of yourself five years out, you'll probably think of yourself, you know, I'll be a little bit older, maybe a little bit wiser, a little bit more gray-haired. That's kind of our intuition of ourselves five years from now. But if you think of yourself five years back, you'll probably realize that you were a very different person with different drives, different motives, different intuitions. We change much more than we anticipate. But why don't you think that in five years you'll be just as different as you were five years ago, because we suffer from what's called the normalcy bias. The normalcy bias causes us to perceive the future as being much like today, being normal, kind of continuation of current trends. And we greatly underestimate the extent of change, the extent of major impact, especially slow-moving, high-impact, low-probability train wrecks like COVID-19, Or the fiscal crisis of 2008-2009. We don't realize it will never go back to January 2020. We live in a new world and we need to prepare and adapt for this new world in order to survive and thrive through the pandemic and the post-pandemic world.
0: So your book, Resilience, adapt and plan for the new normal of COVID-19, coronavirus and pandemic. You know, I always say on the show, right message, right seat, right person, right time. I mean, this really is a powerful book for people to, to pick up and, and consume and read. And there's a lot of um, elements to the book. It its is, it is a, isn't a sit down and read necessarily in one, one sitting, but maybe we, we look at a couple of the, the concepts. First of all, um, we hear this word resilience a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to, what what does that mean to you as it relates to these changing shifts.
1: Mm. One of the most important aspects of resilience, so resilience, the term itself, means being able to deal effectively with a challenging situation. That's what it means. That's kind of the essence of what resilience refers to, being able to deal well, deal effectively with a challenging, troubling situation. When we are, de- when we are dealing with a new situation like COVID-19, that means not using your previous instincts, your previous intuitions, your previous ways of doing things to deal with this new situation, that means pivoting, figuring out what does the new situation require, and changing your decision-making, your risk management processes, your strategic planning for the future. The vast majority of people that I observe are not doing that. They're trying to use their previous modes of existence you know, to, to deal with COVID-19 when this is a very bad idea. You should not use your previous trends. You should not use your previous modes of being of making plans. You know, for example, one of the cognitive biases, I talked about the normalcy bias. One of the cognitive biases that's also very relevant to COVID-19 is called the planning fallacy. Now, we tend to make plans and think that our plans will come true because, you know, we're good people. We're confident about ourselves. We like our plans. So we think our plans will come true. That, you know, you've probably heard the phrase failing failing to plan is planning to fail. So failing to plan is planning to fail. It's a common phrase, it gets bandied around a lot, but it's very misleading. Why is that? Well, unfortunately, when you make a plan, we assume that it will come true, and we don't realize that just making a plan doesn't mean that we prevented failure. What much more effective phrase that I have my clients use is, failing to plan for problems is planning to fail. Again, failing to plan for problems is planning to fail, because we don't plan for problems, we plan for success and so much so much so often there's a lot of problems and right now that people are trying to you know open back up go back to business as though nothing happened as though covid19 is behind us that's they're asking for trouble (laughs) they're asking for problems there's going to be so many issues so many challenges so many Trends that they are not anticipating, that they're not adapted for, that they will lose out to people who are more savvy and they will lose market share, they will lose to competitors who are more savvy, more smart about going forward. So that's what resilience means to me. It means responding effectively, wisely to challenges, including new challenges, not responding the same way as you would to old traditional challenges.
0: Well, that's a that's a that's a, a hard a hard pill to swallow. And uh, mm-hmm. when when we had um, some of our our previous conversations, I I, I, I want to remind folks who are, are new to your work or let them know who are new to your work that um, you're a professional speaker, you're a coach, you're an expert. Your your business was also deeply impacted by this. And I I, yeah. I like to say that because I think it, it brings. Brings the reality that that while you're presenting these these interesting concepts, these challenging concepts, you're not doing it in a vacuum saying this doesn't touch me. <laughs> your 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 business too has 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 transitioned, dissolved, disintegrated, evolved. That you know what your company does is different as well. So I think it's important for people to, to know that you're dealing with these same things in your business as well.
1: I very much am. I mean, as a speaker and trainer. I just had a new book that was coming out. Now, you know, the the previous one before this one, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. And I had a very nice book tour scheduled where I had a number of speeches, keynotes, trainings and so on, which all got canceled. So all of that got canceled, you know, and I have no idea if it will happen in the future. I mean, a bunch of it certainly won't because we won't really have large conferences going on until 2022 or beyond. We can talk about that. But yes, it's been definitely a major blow to my income, to my ability to have my business. And I'm struggling a lot in pivoting to virtual training, virtual coaching, virtual consulting. You know, the Virtual con- coaching and training is easier than virtual consulting because consulting requires a lot more dynamics that's face-to-face. So that's quite a bit harder to do We're figuring that out. So that's kind of one aspect of my business that's my business has been very much damaged and I can see this internally and I'm working, struggling hard to pivot, but it's not simply my business. It's also my life. My dad, he's 79. He lives in New York. And sometime in late March, he started coughing really badly, having lots of real shortness of breath. My mom was saying that he was breathing like a rabbit. And he lost sense of smell, taste, kind of the classic symptoms associated with COVID-19. He was really on and off for a while. And my mom, fortunately, she has medical training. So she was able to prevent him from getting pneumonia with various massages and so on, you know, (laughs) positioning him in various weird positions. Fortunately, she was able to prevent him from going to the hospital because the hospitals at that time were really bad in New York City so he's recovering he's not fully well by any means he still has shortness of breath but not nearly as bad as before so i'm very fortunate that he is recovering so it's hit my business and hit my family and it's been really hard for me and i mean i've observed a lot of my clients struggling with this you know some of my clients are better positioned to transition to the online space than i am because uh, a lot of my work requires face-to-face services some are positioned worse so for example i do coaching so it's one of my areas and one of my clients she was the coo of a chain of diners in the midwest something like 24 diners and she just you know when we were talking about the future what the dine what the restaurant industry would look like you know she we realized she realized that this was not a future for her this was not a good place for her to be so we worked on transitioning her to a new career which you know obviously at least I don't have to transition my business to a new career but fortunately she was able to work her contacts and we made looked at the various options she had available and she eventually made the transition to being a regional manager of a large chain of grocery stores now obviously it's a step down the career ladder (laughs) from the COO to regional manager but she has a lot of potential for growth we are pretty clear on that and she, her salary is not too far off from what she had. It's about eighty five percent of what she had before, so that's pretty decent. And she is in a much more stable industry because restaurants were not going to do well in the next several years, and grocery chain stores will be doing fine.
0: So, Doctor Glub, um, I love that story, and, and it, it's it's a time right now where so many of us are, I call it, navigating. Awkward. Something as simple as that conversation you and I just had, our, our personal connection to this experience, and mm-hmm. and layered over all these new HR rules. And I can't ask this, or I have to ask this, or I can't have a video because I can't ask somebody to shoot video from their company in their house. And and you, in in your book, you break down a a lot of the different issues. But I really. Um, I love kind of there's a section in the book where you say you know here's here's six issues you kind of got to think about motivation and engagement obviously mm-hmm. this idea of effective communication looking at and solving problems noticing and solving problems cultivating trust obviously security both uh, cybersecurity as well as you know physical sh- security for yourself and your business and, and accountability and, and in that you have a, a, a breakdown of developing these effective communication skills. And right now, we're not only just layering the pandemic over, over our world, but in the, the framework of the United States, now we've got this layer of uh, George Floyd and pre- police yes. brutality and all that, which, which escalates this need for resilience, this need to adapt. Do you have any, any simple strategies or tips we might give to our listeners to help them jump into this navigating awkward with hmm. effective communication?
1: One of the really important things to remember about how we fail at communication is that we assume we're much better at communicating than we are. That's called the illusion of transparency. That's one of the cognitive biases that I talk about, these dangerous judgment errors that come from how our brain is wired. Because we know what we want to communicate, we know what we want to say, and we feel in our gut that the other person gets our message in the way that we want it to convey it. We don't realize a number of things. First of all, the person is interpreting the message through their filters. So let's say with George Floyd, if somebody has a certain perspective on George Floyd that doesn't agree with your perspective, that differs from your perspective, they might be misinterpreting what you're trying to communicate because they have different filters, they have different values. They might have just different information. They might have the same values, but they might have different information about the situation coming from their network and so on. And the same thing about COVID-19, they might have different perspectives, different information, different values, and of course, not a horrible thing that they have different values. You know, it's very important in business and in life to be able to collaborate effectively with people who have different values. But you have to realize that people with different values who have the same information will have different perspectives on the right course of action. And people with the same values but different information will all also have different perspectives on the same course of action. And it's even worse when you have different values and different information, right? So that's uh, something that we have to realize, this illusion of transparency and the uh, kind of information and the values that other people have. So that makes it really complex. And that to address that, you need to think about what kind of values does the other person have? What kind of information do they have? And use those as ways of trying to see what kind of filters they might have about the information that you provide. So, the filters that they have about the information that you provide. One of the really easy ways to think about this is how can your communication fail? So, imagine all the ways that your communication can fail to this person. So, imagine all the ways that it can fail whether because of information, because of values, because of their mood at this uh, time or something like that. Think about all the ways that it can fail. And then how can you address the ways that it can fail? Think about the ways that you can address. So if you're writing an email to an important client, you know, maybe this client is, has, uh, I I just had an instance where somebody, I, I was going to do an interview on a podcast and the podcast host was in Minneapolis and, you know, we're talking about how with all the protests and we're, you know I was about to do the podcast and they had said, you know, we really are just not in a good state of mind to do this podcast because we're in Minneapolis, there's so many protests, and I didn't even know that they were in Minneapolis. I didn't even know that this was going to be an issue. So if you want to think about where people are, what their context is, their local context, what's going on, that you know, podcast interview f- failed in a way because I didn't think about their context. And uh, of course, I could have used my time more efficiently if I knew that the podcast interview wasn't going to be held, right? So that's kind of one way of thinking about what's going on, what are all the ways that it can fail, and how can you prevent them in advance? You know, I- i didn't know about this podcast interview host being in minneapolis but if i knew i could have checked with them in advance and said hey you know i know that stuff is going on in your area is this still a good idea to go forward with the podcast so that's kind of one thing that you want to be thinking about and this is when you're just doing regular communication that you're used to doing. Right now, a lot of people are transitioning to virtual communication. And this it provides a lot more challenges that people are used to. So when you're communicating in virtual teams, virtual settings, you want to be aware that of how much you're losing. When you're face-to-face, you have not only the verbal content of what you're actually saying, you also have your tone of voice, how you're saying, kind of the emotional undertones. You have body language. Whether how you're expressing things with your face, with your hands, with your shoulders, how you're positioned, all of those sorts of things. So when I say, I think Mary should take that project, or I say, I think Mary should take that project, those two sentences mean very different things. But when I write them down, they mean the same thing. And... Of course, so many more people are relying on text-only communication because they're using workplace collaboration platforms like Slack, Microsoft Teams, Trello, Asana. So there's a lot of stuff that's being lost. And so you want to be thinking about what is being lost when those people are communicating, when you're communicating to other people and when other people are communicating to you. What is lost? What kind of context is lost? What kind of subtext is lost? And you can address that because you're aware that these things are lost, you can clarify what you mean. You know, when you make a comment that you, well, maybe you should not be making sarcastic comments, but if you do happen to be making comments that are sarcastic, you know, you can have parentheses and say JK after the parentheses, something like that. That is a way to convey that you are being sarcastic when, of course, in face-to-face interactions, people would be able to read that from your tone of voice and expressions. I've seen a lot of failures in communication. I've done a lot of helping companies transition, even before the pandemic, to virtual teams. And this is a big, big issue. So you wanna be thinking about what's lost, how we can address it. And ideally you would get some professional development in these areas because there's definitely a lot of professional development that you can get in effective virtual communication.
0: When we talk about mindfulness, we talk about mindfulness is the practice of being present in the moment without judgment. And right now, um, it it is a skill that so many need, and there's a lot of different ways to build this. Um, Deepak Chopra just recently said in the Mindfulness Movement movie that mindfulness is kind of the wrong word because it's not about your mind being full, but it's about awarefulness. And so Mm -hmm. I, I, I really... Appreciate your comment about the power right now of being aware at home, being aware at work so i'm curious i haven't asked you this question before. Um, you come from a, a deep expansive academic background. Mm-hmm. Do you have a mindfulness practice do you do you yeah. meditate oh, yeah, and, and how does that look I'm for meditating.
1: you? Sure. I have a um, daily mindfulness practice uh, where that, uh, that integrates a number of elements. So the mindfulness practice I follow is from the Jon Kabat-Zinn School of Evidence-Based Meditation. And that's meditation, mindfulness practices of various sorts that have been evaluated by academic research and have been shown to be effective. So that's kind of what I integrate into my daily activities. For example, in the morning I have a mantra that focuses on a variety of things that I want to remind myself to be. I want to remind myself to have for example self compassion toward myself. I want to remind myself to have forgiveness toward other people and other sorts of activities that I want to remind myself to do because they're not completely not intuitive. To have forgiveness for other people is not an intuitive thing to do. That's not what our gut reactions tell us to do. To have compassion toward yourself, that's not something that's intuitive either because it's very intuitive for me to drive myself to work, to overwork or to do things that are really not in the end helpful for me to live life at a sprint rather than a marathon and to take things too seriously so that's forgiveness that self-compassion toward myself so i have a mantra in the morning and then sometime around midday earlier in the day when i'm getting a little bit tired i do a meditation which is at least a 10 minute empty mind meditation, what's also called the Zazen for those who, so it's kind of like a meditation tool one. I used, I started doing meditation with breath, focusing on my breath and focusing on my body, but then I moved up to doing Zazen, empty mind, letting go of thoughts. It's a harder meditation. It's a hard meditation to start with because you want to train yourself up to it. So that's kind of another thing that I do. And oh, the other thing I do, I do is a meditative practice of yoga in the morning. So every morning I start with about 45 minutes or so of various forms of yoga, stretching, where I combine stretching, essentially yoga, with awareness of my body. Now, what does what's yoga? Has it different from stretching? It's essentially you are doing it in a way that's aware of your body, focusing on your body. What is it? Not like not thinking about what you need to do for the day while you do your exercises, or watching TV while you do running on a treadmill. That's not yoga. <laughs> so those are the three main practices that I have.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing. You know, it's um, you've got an amazing library of books and um, a a massive Rolodex of companies that you've served, and we are so grateful to have you on the Everyday Mindfulness Show. And as a friend to, to our work as we build our resilience, as we look at how to adapt and plan, on today's show, we literally just barely scratched the surface. Dr. Glub. you are always so generous with with, um, our listeners. Um, Is there a website, a tool, a resource? How can people get more of your work and perhaps even bring your work into their companies and organizations?
1: And of course, you folks can check out my book, Resilience, Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic. But the website that you want to check out is DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. Again, DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. There's blogs, videos, podcasts of various sorts, virtual coaching, consulting, training, guides, classes. Uh, Check out a free online class on making the wisest decisions. Of, with eight video-based modules at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. So again, free eight video-based eight video-based module class on making the wisest decisions at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe.
0: And I, and I know he said that really fast. Don't worry, listeners, we're going to have the link in the show notes as well if you didn't get that down. Um, Let's be mindful together. Let's grow our awareness together and our resilience in these times so that uh, we can take advantage of these socioeconomic shifts and be a part mm-hmm. of the solution. Dr. Glub, thank you so much. We look forward to having you on another episode, maybe in a few months. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Holly. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you inviting me.
0: Remember, mindful matters, and so do you.
1: Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more mindfulness every day, visit everydaymindfulnessshow.com and download the three-day challenge and experience the ABCs of mindfulness.